0: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts.
2: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today is the FA Cup third round and everyone in the AFC first team is motivated and excited to discuss it. We cover Liverpool's incredible period of dominance and ask whether it will ever end. Tranmere's comeback at Watford, a 40-year-old hero in Aaron Wilbraham, and a conversation about whether anyone actually wants to win the FA Cup. Plus, it's time to assess the state of play in the Premier League, check in on any potential transfers and a European roundup as the league's return after a winter break. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined in 2020, as ever, by Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina?
1: I'm good. Thank you. No longer lonely. Oh, great. (laughs) Uh, That's (laughs) Not because it's January anything.
2: I I took a moment to pass that. I thought you were just giving us an update on your life. But of of course, I I remember our last podcast was just you and I here. But um, but yes, it is about
1: that. It's not about my personal life. Good. All right. Let's keep that
2: separate. Let's keep that on Instagram (laughs) stories. Uh, Joining us today, filling out our lineup, avoiding loneliness, we have JJ Ball. How are you, JJ? Filling out. I'm always here. (laughs) (laughs) You weren't last week.
1: Yeah, you haven't been here for a while, Jade.
2: That's right.
3: I was in Aberdeenshire. It's lovely there. You should all go. Good. Yeah. How you, cold is you, it? Uh,
2: cold. Okay. Yeah. Well,
4: yeah. it's
2: what it's what makes it. Winter's the best season, as we all know. Anyway, completing lineup. It's only Matt Law. What's going on, Matt?
4: Oh, I was available last week. You just didn't invite me. That's not oh. true, is it? Yeah, Perfectly true. Oh my goodness. No email.
2: Joel Grove on the buttons. Is that true? It's true. He 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 looks. I uh, assumed you'd
4: pre-recorded something. But obviously you're not that unprofessional. Wow. I think it's a sort
3: of a, like a Mourinho style move to drop you to make sure you're motivated yes, to get exactly. back in the next time.
2: Yeah, yeah. If, if this doesn't go well, I'm going to substitute you at half time of the podcast. That's the most brilliant
1: <laughs> Well, maybe we'll do it, keen and bring you on for 20 minutes and then take you off.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm up for that. Nice. Sub me for the FA Cup. <laughs> we unfortunately have to discuss the FA Cup, Matt, although... I quite enjoyed the FA Cup this weekend. It Why? Wasn't, um, well, QPR, absolutely. I, well, yeah, this is exactly. the thing. I mean, we have to start by talking about QPR, don't we? 11 goals in two games. How many of those two games have I been at? Zero. <laughs> no. so I worked out I've seen, I've seen QPR score eight goals in the games I've been to. I, I basically go to sort of 95% of the home league games. Uh, I've seen us score eight goals since, I think, mid-September, and we've scored 11 in two games, and I've seen none of them. Brilliant. Oh. Well done. That's all for QPR. Let's move on to the Merseyside derby, which I suspect is higher up most people's uh, interest levels this week. Very inexperienced Liverpool side, Mina, but they got it done against Everton. This feels to me like the epitome of a good moment, as managers are so fond of saying, for a club. I- I'm struggling to remember a period where a Premier League team has just had this level of dominance. I mean, I know they only snuck past Everton, but there just is such an inevitability about them at the moment and they can put out a team of kids, basically, and still look so exciting and still win against their local rivals. Were you impressed with their young players in this game?
1: Yeah, I think that what's the most impressive is the fact that uh, the big kids and the young kids can can do it all the time, and I think if anything, it shows you yes, Liverpool's a great club and all of this, but it's really club, right? It's the fact that he's got a strategy, he's got a set of tactics that are always so well executed. And he manages to talk to the players in the sense that they know exactly what they're doing. It's easy, and it's, it's everything that they do is facilitated on the pitch, and they're allowed to express their true potential because of the fact that he's got a ph- philosophy that is simple to follow, that is that that it can be translated from you know from the likes of Sane and and uh, Firmino to obviously uh, you know um, Ryan Brewster and and Co. So. It's more about what the coach has done for this team, how he's, by the way, so good at creating fullbacks as well. I mean, it's almost like the fullbacks are always perfect under him. They were perfect at Borussia Dortmund. They're perfect at Liverpool. Even the kids yesterday were perfect in what they were doing. Um, I thought it was an exceptional performance from from the guy that was brought on to replace Milner and R- LaRouche and uh, Nico Williams. And, and I, honestly, I think this is credit to Klopp more than anything else.
2: The fact that there are this new crop of players coming through matt and he seems to be giving them a little bit more game time this year and using them for some of the other competitions does that show you that Klopp is building something for the medium to long-term future at liverpool is that him or will that be someone else at the club who's trying to make that um uh, plan for the future good question
4: um it, it must be sort of joined up thinking throughout the club i'd imagine it can't just be him because he's got to be relying on other people to to get them to a certain stage i mean I didn't see the game yesterday because I was on my way back from Chelsea. Um, but I saw the Montelli against Villa in the quarterfinals when they played a really young side. The average age was like 15 or something. <laughs> and uh, some of them were unbelievable. Harvey Elliott looks mm. fantastic. Player. A lot of them actually have been bought in. They're not sort of um, fully homegrown. A lot of them have been bought in at kind of 15, 16. Um, I think even Ryan Brewster was. Yeah. Um, not so, the man Who got the goal there? No, but they're recruiting well at, at a certain level and he's giving them chances. Um, I, look, I didn't, I didn't see the game, I've got to be honest, at all. I didn't even bother watching the highlights. But what is probably <laughs> the only interesting thing going Substitution. forward... Substitution!
3: <laughs> the, the only, the only
4: interesting <laughs> thing going forward is what Ancelotti uh, takes from it because I'd imagine Ancelotti's been looking to see uh, which players he can start to shed... Uh, particularly with Everton's record losses coming, which is exclusively revealed in the Daily Telegraph today. Um, and I'd imagine quite a few of those players who played yesterday now will have made up his mind a little bit.
2: What did you make of Everton's performance, Treasure? They seem to be getting pretty negative press on Monday, but um, I didn't mind watching them. I thought they at least gave it a little bit more of a go than they had done in the past, but I suppose you can't really defend the fact that that's basically their first team and they've lost to Liverpool's reserves.
3: Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Cause we don't know quite what Ancelotti wants to do with him yet. He's still figuring out the team, like Matt's saying, and you'll have learned quite a bit about this. The only player I come away with any praise was uh, Sidibe, the right back, who I think is a really great player, but he was good at Mon- uh, Monaco before. Uh, the chances they created are a lot of them are kind of crosses in the box, set pieces. I think Sigerson's not been good most of this season. He's creating chances, but they're mostly from like balls in the box. Uh, they're playing, I mean, Ancelotti's approaching this. He's got a play against Anfield, against the best team in the world. That's actually their title now. Uh, yeah,
2: they've got the little gold patch on did. their shirt to prove yeah. it.
3: But I mean, this Liverpool team, even though they've put all these young players in, it's I don't I don't remember ever seeing a team where I'm like, they're unbeatable. This is it's like unprecedented. And you think the record in the Premier League, what they've lost, something like was it they won oh, they won twenty eight and twenty nine or twenty nine and thirty? Something mental. It's a... you think of managers that get fired because they lose a couple of games, but then Liverpool now, like what I'm trying to say is like Liverpool's record, the way way they're they continue winning and are so invincible looking, makes it seem more a what's the word unrealistic that anyone will that anyone can survive the manager job. Chris Wilder
4: said this the other day, didn't he? After Sheffield United lost to them, he basically said there's not a single thing you can do better than them. Like you can't outpass them, you can't Mm outrun them, you can't outwork them, you can't outmuscle them. He was arguing that most great teams, there's something you can, even if it's you know, going down to very very sort of basic tactics, there's something you might be able to do better than them. Um, but he, his argument was with this Liverpool team you literally cannot do anything better than them when and you play them it's
3: created this sort of feeling where they they, they have that same when they, come, when they come into games you think you're going to lose to them like Manchester United used to have under Sir Alex Ferguson that sort of feeling and so when you, when you put young kids in the crowd behind it still must have this thing where you've come to our house you're not going to come away with anything from here and uh, they slotted in well but I mean they've the players they've brought in—they're—they're they're all half decent. They've all been highly rated for a long time. All those youngsters.
4: It's ironic as well as what story I mean. It just um, sums up how good the whole setup there as well. past Klopp. That it's ironic that they are the team that least needs a new signing at the moment, and yet they're the first team to sign someone in the transfer window because they're most ready to whereas everyone else is kind of mm. just reacting 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 whereas they've been ready to and they don't actually need a signing which really sums up how well things are run at the moment at Liverpool
3: and Everton definitely need signings but needed that for a long time regardless of who came in Ancelotti's there now he'll want to bring in a bunch of players but you, you can't buy too many because it disrupts any semblance of cohesion you had before, the players they've got are really average. They're exactly where they should be, like I've said this a lot of times, and Ancelotti is one of the best managers of all time, and he'll have exactly the same problems the managers before him had. Uh, They'll need to make changes, like that record loss that they've got now, just spending money on players that aren't taking them to the next level, whereas Liverpool have recruited so uh, smartly, bringing through younger players now who will be useful for the first team, in a short while but Everton need first team signings now and Ancelotti I think I've read him saying that he doesn't normally talk to players after games properly he doesn't do a proper debrief but in his post-match he said that he will definitely be talking to them this time
1: mm-hmm. I, I just want to do like a devil's advocate just because you know. firstly I think that it's in terms of signings it's much easier to bring in a squad player and somebody who's out there who's a bargain that you've already played against and you've watched with your own eyes than it is for somebody like Everton or perhaps West Ham to bring in players that will really be the transformers that make a difference on your team. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lot harder for certain for certain teams right now to get the players that they can um, really push the team on. When it came to that actual game, I do think a lot of the time there is that whole psychological effect when you believe that you're the best team in the world. It just spreads to everything. Um, it's kind of the reason why Madrid won three year three years in a row the Champions League, even though they're a bit rubbish uh, at certain times and, and during those three years. But I also think that it was it would be fair to say that Everton should have been 3-0 up at half-time. They had exceptional chances. Their inability to finish them is perhaps, you know, the reason why Ancelotti needs to go out there and get someone. Um, but it is those. It is a lot of missed chances. Um, but you have to be good to get your luck and, and Liverpool are good enough. But it's interesting also when you look at, for example, even in the Champions League, Gazeta de la Sport wrote at the time that Barcelona's kids are better than their that than they're almost their better their first team because kids sometimes when they are allowed to play a game and especially if it's a grudge match or if it's Everton or it's against another big team you want to show yourself off because this is a side that you're probably not going to break in that easily and if you are a side that it it filled with players dying to make a difference this is your bread and butter you will go out there and you will give everything you have and we've seen that from Chelsea this whole season
2: like the signings it's one of those virtuous circle things isn't it where if you're privileged to be playing extremely well there's far less pressure on you to come in and and do well as one of the younger (laughs) players let's talk about the FA Cup in general um you said last week Mina your New Year's resolution was to watch more championship football which championship teams impressed you this weekend
1: honestly probably just QPR of course Mina
2: (laughs) that's the answer we were looking for Middlesbrough
1: were not bad but I don't know whether that has more to do with the opponent than anything else but
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah they'll need a replay uh Spurs and Middlesbrough Man United and Wolves will do too um Strikes me as probably the last thing any of those clubs will want at the moment, apart from Middlesbrough possibly, Matt.
4: I wouldn't have thought Middlesbrough do, because they've <laughs> started making a bit of a run a run in the championship and they'll still be thinking about the playoffs, even though that seemed unlikely a little while ago. Um, yeah, I mean I was at Chelsea where Forrest, who I think are fourth in the championship, won three games on the trot, made ten cha- they made more changes than Chelsea. <laughs> and before the game the manager had said we've got no chance. And after the game, the manager said, we're not going to win the cup, so there was no point staying in it. And it was just like, what, what have we all been doing for the last two hours then? What, what's the point?
2: You're quite fed up with the FA Cup, aren't you, Matt?
4: I'm just fed up with what it's become, just fed up with trying to pretend that it's something it's not. There's no point pretending anymore. Unless they're going to have a massive rethink on it, then we may as well just accept that it's very much a sort of third. I actually prefer the League Cup to the FA Cup these days as well. Because the League Cup falls earlier, I think it means it's generally more exciting, whereas this third round now in amongst all the Christmas football when the managers will then rest like 10, 11 players, has just become so dull. I like the FA Cup once it gets going a bit. Third round's just become non-event There, It's true.
1: It's an on average seven changes per Premier League side. So.
4: No, I don't. I doubt whether that's just Premier League either.
1: Yeah, that's true. No, I mean, all the championship
4: point. teams rest. I mean, I, I look, I wouldn't have minded Chelsea... The Chelsea team they put out yesterday was, you know, fine. There was stuff to watch in it. And if Forrest had come with a half-near-first-choice team, it would have actually probably been a really interesting match. But it's just a complete non-event. And that, that was the case in probably 85 to 90% of the ties.
2: Nice novelty kit for Chelsea, though. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice kit, that was, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: back to yesterday.
2: Yeah, that's the solution. What about one of the less non-eventy games, JJ, Tremerova's Rovers came roaring back against Watford. Nigel Pearson said the uh, competition was not a priority for Watford. Um, and so it proved when, when they went 3-0 up and then let three goals in. Is this where the uh, the Pearson fund stops for Watford, do you think?
3: Nah, these games just happen now and again. Uh, they put out a week inside, so that's always susceptible to something going wrong. This game uh, is an exact example of why VAR is really, really good because the referee made two really bad calls both overturned to give Tranmere the way back into the game. And if you hadn't had that, like, for Tranmere to have pulled that off, you need everything to go your way. And uh, it's not just that they needed an advantage, is that they needed the uh, the fairness of those decisions going their way. I've seen it so many times in my time supporting Aberdeen where the big club gets the gets the decision. And that that's just seems to have happened there. But, they, like, the penalty decision to for the equaliser... The referee blew it. When I watched it, it was like, well, that's obviously a penalty. And it was, it was good. And the first, what was the first bar that they overturned? Was a, an offside call, I think it was.
2: I think that's right, yes.
3: Yeah, I think it was that. Uh, anyway, it was great. But Watford won't care. And again, because they are starting to get a bit of a run in the Premier League and there's so much money involved that they maybe won't care. And they saw what happened when they got to the final last year and they got absolutely gubbed. It's not, it doesn't really don't matter. care
4: about a replay. Well, they won't want to, even though they're playing the weekend side, I think the one thing they probably didn't want is a replay. The
3: thing is, it all helps because it helps you build momentum if you, you win these games. And I know it's, I mean, I I think I, I share a lot of your opinions on, on the FA Cup, Matt, but I don't see why, like, if you're all these people coming to watch you every single week, and well, they are customers now, basically, rather than fans, I'd say, but you still think it's more fun going on a cup run and getting something out of it. Because it's more likely that you can achieve something rather than just oh we've survived another season. Look forward to next year where we survive another season. I agree
4: that with the mid sort of the mid-table clubs or clubs that haven't got like yeah. massive injury lists or something. But
2: then some they, of them. Most are just... of them went out there, didn't they? Like Palace and Brighton particularly. But like you Newcastle feel like played a full team. Yeah, Newcastle love to mug off the cups. Oh, yeah. don't they? Like they're always um, traditionally. Although Bruce
4: seems a bit more invested in it, doesn't he? But yeah.
3: he's like done exactly. What, I mean, what. What I've just said is that you have a go at it because then that can not only help your Premier League season because you get a bit of momentum, a bit of buzz about it, but it's also you're in there to win things and that's a way you could win something. (laughs) But
4: they drew and the fans all (laughs) chanted at Joe Linton, "You're not fit to wear the shirt."
3: Oh, I like Joe Linton.
4: He's not a lot of momentum there.
1: He is really like (laughs) Joe Linton. What has happened to him though? I just feel like there is so many opportunities for you to get these goals and you're missing really. Uh, this was a very strange game. 83 possession at one point, 75 overall in the first half and Newcastle were just...
2: Anyway. They reckoned without 40-year-old man Aaron Wilbraham, didn't they?
1: And Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it just goes to show you, by the way, I love that because it was just such a nice mix of young and old, which is exactly what you need for a team to be somewhat, you know, interesting to watch.
3: Um, Bruce has changed his set up to a three in midfield and I don't think he's... I'm just pulling this stat out. I'm probably wrong, so you should really check it. But I... They, they definitely haven't done very well since doing it. I think they might not have won a game or they've only won one since doing it because before they were playing with the two. And uh, it's interesting that that's is what's happened, but it's to get, like the long staff said, and Shelby's been playing well before as well. Uh, Joe Ellington, I think, is a problem of confidence, surely. Mm, maybe, and it's, yeah. it's been said that he's not having a nice. He's not enjoying himself where he lives, going from Germany to, well, where he we lived in Germany and before that, Brazil, to uh, <laughs> the sunny claims of Newcastle. <laughs> it's and a great it's,
2: city. Yeah, it's just chilly. So it's
3: great like the
1: Maria problem, basically.
3: Well, it could be. You just can't settle, and that might just be that. Maybe he needs to be somewhere like like London, something like that, as a different kind of city, a different kind of lifestyle. Uh, and that just happens with some players. And it could be that it's going to take him too long to get into it. And if the fans turn on you, then I mean, how the much confidence are you yeah. going to have? And That's then the as soon as your confidence goes, you start snatching at chances. Like there's left foot volley he took, uh, which he didn't hit, hit properly the way I think you should have done. And then there's a header that was going on target, may well have gone in, but took a deflection off a defender. All these little things just aren't going his way,
2: but I yeah, think... Yeah, it is a
1: conf- think I do agree that I think it's a confidence thing.
2: What about John Stones? got his revenge <laughs> for Manchester City over Tom Pope and Port Vale. Well, he didn't. Oh.
4: Tom Pope scored. Well, I think the four-one, yeah, the four-one right? victory. Yeah, but even probably... so, I, I think that Tom Pope wins that. Yeah. Well, as what, as well, that's a Tom Pope victory there's, in my book. Well, it's, it was a it
2: was a mixed weekend for Tom Pope. He made <laughs> the joke um, initially about scoring forty goals if he played against John Stones every week, and then uh, said uh, afterwards, oh, it would actually be fifty. Uh, and then he had what is known as a milkshake duck moment, uh, <laughs> where he is now being investigated for anti-Semitic tweets, even. The cult heroes are now disgracing themselves moments after we actually learn their names and they become famous. This is a sure sign the FA Cup has lost its magic, surely. but What about City? I mean, they strike me as a team that will be particularly interested in this trophy. Really? Why? Well, well they're not going to win the league. Mm-hmm. Do they not need to end the year no. on a high? Or do no you think no it's one
1: cares just... about domestic brilliance anymore when it comes to this
2: them. Is a f- oh. this, is a, this is a flat, flat episode. I think isn't it? it does. At oh, like well, the
3: FA Cup at the end of the season. Especially Pep Guardiola would be looking at like, how do you assess your record? What you've done it is with titles and winning the FA Cup, even if it's not doesn't seem important at this stage. When it gets to that final, it is. I mean, it's nowhere near what Champions League is or winning the league, but it's still a title, and you say, well, I won this, this, this. No, this, I think this. that's
4: true. I think uh, if Pep Guardiola finishes the season, kind of, you're able to say trophyless. That's a bad word to yeah. associate with Man City and Pep Guardiola.
1: I think that, honestly speaking, that all he cares about is the Champions League. If you're showing progression, if you're showing to be, if you're growing your team on a European level, where you actually are leaving behind a side that can really battle, and not just in, like, the second round, but in quarterfinals and semifinals... If he manages to reach the semi-finals, no one's really going to care about the FA Cup because really, what everyone is judging City on is that competition, and I think everything else. For I, I agree
4: with huge. that, but it's still a justification, isn't it? Still at the end of the season when look, it's, it's going to happen. Lots of people are going to talk about Liverpool running away with it. City weren't going to blah blah blah. If City have actually won the League Cup and the FA Cup. He might not really believe it, but he can use it as a justification to say, well, hang on, we weren't that bad. We won two of the three domestic.
3: I also think he's desperate to, he's genuinely desperate to win. It's part of what makes him what he is. And I mean, he's said recently in one of his interviews that uh, he's always been, uh, always always lost or been losing since his first season at Barca when he won a sextet. Like, you know, you can't really get better than winning every Mm -hmm. single trophy. And so to win the FA Cup again would be, Achievement. He takes the league cup seriously. Mm. He, chose, he does rotate, but he still leaves big guys in there and makes yeah, sure he they takes get everything over the line. Seriously. And he's won the charity shield, every, well, community shield every single time. Is that that's right, isn't it?
4: I think so. Arteta. I was at the Arteta Arsenal press conference last Thursday, and we were talking to him about trying to create a culture at Arsenal. And he he used the words that City were addicted to winning, and that he's got to build that addiction at Arsenal. So that probably feeds in with what what Joel's talking about. Mm. Not Joel. JJ, (laughs) Joel's behind the glass. Too many Js. He
2: may never speak.
0: Hello, I'm Marianne Jones and I'm the editor of The Telegraph magazine, which means I spend my week overseeing every page, from the front cover to hard-hitting news reports, columns and lifestyle features. We go to print weekly, so we have a little bit longer to craft our journalism using our award-winning writers and fantastic art and photography teams. That means we can publish long-form pieces that really get to the heart of the story. Just recently, our cover interviews with Joaquin Phoenix and James Middleton made global headlines while our writer Mick Brown's investigation into false memory syndrome won a major press award. And the fact of the matter is, we couldn't have done all of this without our subscribers. Without them, we just can't commission the stories you like reading, or make podcasts like this one. Why not try out a 30-day subscription to The Telegraph completely free? Go to the telegraph.co.uk slash audio
2: Let's leave the FA Cup behind us now and talk about the general state of play in the Premier League. Who impressed you most over the festive period, Matt? We didn't get your thoughts last week because you were snow.
4: Probably Watford. <laughs> <laughs> Which was yeah, because yeah, no one cared about my thoughts. Why do you care about my thoughts now? I'm not going to give you my thoughts. Yeah, no. I'm going to withhold them.
1: Honestly, honestly, I agree with him, Tom.
4: <laughs> Probably Watford. I mean, Watford. You know, they've 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 come back from the dead in the Premier League. I thought they were finished, and unfortunately, one of those results were against my team. But the, you know, they've had a brilliant, brilliant Christmas period. Southampton too. Mm-hmm. And Danny Ings. I mean, incredible. Going back to when I saw them lose 9-0, I just thought that was a club that just looked like it couldn't turn itself around. And now they look like a mid-table team at the moment. So those two win Christmas
2: for me. Yes. What about Arteta, JJ? Arsenal very good against Manchester United. Um, What have been your thoughts about him so far?
3: I, I really, really, really want to know how he's been able to put these changes in that he's put in with no training time so over the festive period after a game you have to have a recovery day and then the day after that you can't really train with any intensity to get anything going because you can't make the players work that hard because
2: they're going to get injuries stuff like that Did you see David Luiz after the match against Manchester United? He, I did, yeah Yeah he, he seems a fair bit happier. It's fair to say. I think under Arteta than he was under Emery. That, yeah, that, that must help.
3: It must help. I mean, the whole coaching. I mean, the coaching staff has changed, right? So everything on the training ground has changed. Um, it could be that things have just run their course for Emery. It certainly seems to have done. And what Arteta is doing is clear, it seems to have been communicated really well. Whereas you couldn't really see what Emery was doing. I think that's because that's mainly his style. He always adapts to whatever is happening. Whereas Arteta is putting in his own stamp on it, which is it's a 4-2-3-1, which defends as a four-four-two, and it attacks with it the attacking shape's like a two-three-five. So you've always got three midfielders blocking things because Maitland Niles tucks inside because that's the fullback is available just now. I think this will change when more players are, are back from injury because like you've got Saka playing at left-back at the moment because then he becomes the auxiliary winger on the left. But when you've got Tierney back, that'll be sort of similar. And you've got Bellerin back in the right, at right-back. He might not go inside midfield like Maitland-Niles does, but it suits it. So he's, he's, done, he's made changes with the players he has available. But it works really well, and there's really clear pressing triggers. They're organised. The shape is obvious wherever they are going. And to do that with no training days you see I How think that's it?
1: because I think that what he his changes are more pragmatic than they are like a whole like new like implementing a style because it's just like playing your best players and uh, your, your your players in their right positions
3: yeah getting them in, yeah, yeah exactly yeah um,
1: getting Lucas Torreira back in which I don't know why was ever like I feel like this guy should always play his he, numbers
3: are like canty I know and I don't know why he's not getting a game before I, I agree with you again I, again I, why are we he's agreeing somebody so who's,
1: who cares a lot <laughs> he's so passionate you know yeah what's, what is going on I don't know on,
4: it's a new year You've gone all wrong <laughs>
1: (laughs) Maybe and and you find like David Luiz. If everyone's having fun, he just like breaks into it because it's like ah, and all of a sudden he becomes this guy that's like the leading light of the of the club when he feels like it. Oh, he's
3: like the anti. Like his personality (laughs) has to be anti everyone else. Everyone's down. He's got to be that guy. A joke, and now he's good. Yeah.
1: But this is why I feel like it's just it's fun now for them. And so if it's fun, they're more determined to listen to what's being said, they're more determined to listen to the various tactics they have to do. But you're right, it is a lot more commitment being shown. They almost look like Sheffield United.
3: But literally how much time would he have had in the training ground to work on them? You can do shaping where you walked a team through the shape they're meant to be in in different parts of the pitch. It's quite boring and slow and you have to walk them and you can do it at different intensities and stuff. But he would mostly, I would think, would have been talking to players 1v1 while organizing everything else with a club he's been doing. Or doing video analysis, and so if he's doing these little short bits, I don't know how many days he's had—maybe five full days or something—that like of training. That it, the the difference between what they are now and what they were is astonishing. What did you make of
2: him when you went to see him, Matt?
4: Yeah, he's he's good. He's a good talker. He always has been. I mean, I covered him a lot as a player. He's not kind of bombastic in a in a Klopp way or even really a a Guardiola way. He's um, he's kind of a bit more reserved than those two. But he is a good communicator. He wants to put across a message um he likes to talk it's not like a case of he's trying to get in and out um and yeah he, he's, he wants to build that connection with the fans i mean i'd be a bit more i'd be a bit more reticent to start going crazy about him yet. Yeah, i mean they've won one game with him mm-hmm. um and, and it could
3: go wrong really quickly it right?
4: could go wrong we saw that you know th- we were all going mad about man united under solskjaer to start with So. Um, a Little bit more reticent to. to I don't think go anyone there.
1: cares though about. I know this sounds crazy. I mean, I'm somebody who's very driven by results, but if you're seeing a site actually develop your like, you know, Chelsea, your you Yeah, willing they to do they around. have to
4: an extent. I mean, I'm not,
1: I mean, organization look at that. It's like for me, it's miles apart to what they were producing before that. They was look it, like they had the no idea what was it in It against
4: Chelsea, doing. was it? I don't know. It'll no, take time, but also the thing it is, it will take the, time.
3: will find and we'll already will know that people will I mean scouts analysts will have looked at Arsenal's past games worked out what they're doing and go okay that's what we're going to do now we're going to do this to counter that and then he has said that it's the same thing like Guardiola had to do for so long yeah
1: I mean he might finish eighth he might finish whatever but I feel like if you can see in a, a, a Something you can identify, like an actual progression, a side that is playing in a certain way that you know, or you can predict a little bit more easily than you did with you know Emery, where you're like, what's going on here? Then I think you're willing to give him time, the time it takes to buy the place. Because let's be honest, he's not going to get what he wants in the transfer market.
2: Let's talk about the transfer window. Chelsea, of mm. course, available again uh, to do some business. Do you think they will, Matt? Yes. Who are they?
1: After? Oh, you do. <laughs>
4: Well, they're desperate for a striker, stroke forward, and it's proven really, really difficult. Um, I think everybody, so many clubs at different levels in the Premier League want a striker in January, and it's really, really tough to get one. Um, And ironically, most clubs who aren't Chelsea want Chelsea's two backup strikers, and Chelsea don't want them and want to find someone else's striker. Um, Is there a chance
2: that if they did get rid of Giroud say that would precipitate a a merry-go-round? See, I think Giroud will
4: probably go no matter what. I just think they're waiting probably till the last week of January to make sure they don't get injuries, but I think Giroud will go whatever. Batshuayi is more reliant on someone coming in. Um, And then, other than the striker, I do think that Nathan Ake is a good shout. Uh, They want someone who can cover a few different positions and he would fulfill a lot of what they're after and is easy for them to sign which is why they don't have to rush to do that um but yeah they will try i mean i think that a lot of clubs are trying man united want to get a couple in um, man city keep telling us they don't want to but i know for sure they're looking at defenders um and then down the bottom everyone wants players so i think it'll be busy but i think as is always every single transfer window most of it will be the last week of the window.
2: Man United certainly seem to have a need for a striker. They didn't register a single shot on target in their game against Wolves us a few names. Have you got anyone in mind from across the continent who you might think could solve a problem for Manchester United? No,
1: because I honestly don't think it's a striker problem. Yes, you're right. (laughs) What's going on, JJ? I don't know.
2: Five points, Mina. you're right.
1: (laughs) Um, It's a midfield problem. So if they can enhance the midfield, if they can better it, they can manage to get more control, then they can provide to what they do have because they do have very talented forwards. Even Mason Greenwood, you know, the kids, everyone there I, I do think it's much better going forward than what they have in the middle and I think that's their main problem you can see how much Pogba even if he plays a cameo role just can change the whole setup of the game and how much he can influence it and, and direct the, the forwards and so if, you, if you imagine you have two of those and, and or at least on a consistent basis without the injuries then you know this would be a flying club in my opinion
3: uh, there are I mean it's predictable coming from me but there are players in Scotland who loads of Premier League teams should be looking at Alfredo Morelos at Rangers is a really, really like top player. Yeah, I think he could play for teams in the top four in England. A uh, Colombian guy just scores for fun. Quite aggressive, quite Tevez-like. Gets sent off all the time, doesn't he? Did. Not this season. He got sent off against Celtic because he did a uh, get-it-right-up you uh, gesture in the old-firm derby, which is not advisable. But there's another guy that is quite how Celtic. Much, how much would Morelos cost? Um, well, Rangers say they won't sell him at any price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think could recommend. well it. definitely not in January but uh, you'd think he'd be, I mean he's worth about twenty twenty-five. 25 so if you, if you look at Musa Dembele who went from Celtic to Lyon I think they sold him for about 20, you might be getting that wrong, uh, he's now being quoted something nuts like 30-40 million to go somewhere else uh, but Odson Edward is at Celtic and he's a really classy striker who could also be uh, pulled away with a bit of money but he'd be another one that's about 25-30 but these are some of the only players that are playing in a quite decent league who could uh, who could perform straight away in England because it's not too dissimilar but uh, who's the um, there's a the guy at Salzburg Huang Hee Chan is a striker who's really impressed with him against Liverpool well in other games as well but yeah uh, there, there's some value to be found across Europe but go to Scotland Sam Cosgrove at Aberdeen he scored 100 goals Get don't, him. don't get
4: rid of you I was going to say treasure. why are you selling your players? you get loads of money from. him but then you're not replacing with as good a player
3: hmm that's true. Mm. <laughs> I haven't thought this through. Take this out in the edit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a quandary. Let's hear some music.
2: <laughs> yes, it's a song for Europe, Mina. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is back in our lives in European football, back at Milan. Can he still thrive in Syria? and why do they want him?
1: Maybe he should, go to he should have gone to Chelsea.
2: That would have been fun.
1: <laughs> that would have been fun. <laughs> the, the young squad with the, the old man exactly. up front. Exactly. Um, Listen, I think that what Milan has been criticised for this season is that they have a very young squad. And it's a very unstable management in the sense that, you know, it's new ownership, obviously. Everyone's changed from Leonardo, the sporting director, to now there's Maldini and Boban. And everything keeps changing and stability going. And Gattuso went and then they had another manager and this and another one. And what they want is somebody who can give them a few more assurances because right now their game has improved under Stefano Pioli, their new coach. You can see them actually have more of an identity. They're creating chances. The only problem is that they have Piontek up front who's not taking them.
4: And What's happened with him? He was incredible when he, he really first joined was. Them.
1: I think that firstly he started off the season with a few problems um, uh, injury-wise and then after that his confidence was just robbed because they had a... St- Bad manager. I know everyone loves him and said yeah, I was never a fan of his, Marco Giampaolo. He eventually got sacked. And purely you can see Pionte getting his confidence back. But the team is not creative enough to, to work out exactly what it is he needed. It was much better when they had the like Sepak Yoko, when he could rely a lot more on mm. on certain movements. Um, and I think with what they feel with Zlatan is that you get more of a guarantee and a few goals because right now Milan is struggling to score those goals.
2: What about in Spain? Is this the most exciting title race in Europe? Barcelona held by Espanyol in the...
1: Oh, it's a bad performance. Yeah. Um, This was a bad performance. Dion got his uh, first career red card. Um, You can see he's a little bit distraught by that. is this the most exciting title race? No. I think a title race is only ever exciting if the two teams are very good rather than the fact that no one really wants it. Does that make sense? It's yeah. a little bit like last year was so exciting because City and Liverpool were so good whereas it wasn't exciting to see who's going to make
2: top four. Oh, you think? I, I think I'm completely the opposite. I found City Liverpool tedious because they just kept winning. I want yeah, fallout teams. With them. And, uh...
1: Okay, but imagine they're just less good. Again. Imagine <laughs> they're just less good rather than, you know, the race for fourth where no one wanted it and you're just like, oh, come on, one of you win a game, please, you know. I'm not saying that's what it is with Madrid and Barcelona but you do feel like yeah maybe it's exciting in the sense that you never know which one's going to have a really bad day and it happens a lot more frequently than you'd imagine I'm honestly I, I know this sounds really biased but I do think it's Italy right now that's the most exciting because Antonio Conte just with his drama alone makes everything so interesting and Lazio are just a stunning team to watch so offensive and if you want to talk about midfielders and creativities, and if you want to look somewhere, Luis Alberto is nothing short of, like, fantastic. Milinkovic, Savage, Lucas Leiva. This is just a beautiful midfield, a beautiful forward line, defensive balance all round. And, of course, you have there too.
2: Yep. Good old Juve. What about in Germany? Schalke's Nubel has agreed to join Bayern Munich in the summer. Is there any way to stop the Bundesliga effectively being a feeder club for Bayern Munich? Or is that just what we're doomed to watch for eternity in Germany?
1: Yeah, pretty much doomed. It's just this is what it is in certain leagues. And, and you know, like you grow up and you sort of have that one club that you always dream of playing for. Schalke had given uh, Nubel the, uh, the captaincy in August and have now stripped him of it. Uh, because he's going. to right. For, for free to Bayern, effectively. And um, and that's been really disappointing for them, to be honest. And David Wagner's the man in charge at Schalke. But uh, Bayern, who always, you know, talk badly about other clubs getting and, and spending money, well, they're not cannibalizing their leagues all the time.
4: So. Wagner's doing well, isn't he?
1: I mean, to be honest, I just feel like. Yeah, but again, with the Bundesliga, it's a lot of teams not living up to expectations more than it is teams being fantastic. When and Gladbach were at the top, they were like sixth best at everything, and yet they were at the top of the table, you know. And then you saw it: sixth best defense, sixth best of attack, sixth best, you know, interceptions, that kind of thing. Um, and eventually, I mean, Newt Nagelsmann is doing a very good job at Leipzig, so that's that's fun to watch as well. But it's I don't I think that a good Borussia Dortmund, which is what we should expect, and a really great buy in Munich, would have made this a completely different league.
2: Sell Germany, buy Italy. Let's finish <laughs> up by asking you all the question we asked our friends on social media, which was after milkshake duck Tom Pope declared he could score 50 goals past John Stones in a season. Which player below the Premier League do you wish had the chance to play in the top flight? We had three shouts for this for uh, Adebayo Akinfenwa uh, there's still time for him. Uh, and another suggestion was Jesse Lingard, which just feels a little <laughs> bit mean. Uh who have you got, JJ? Uh
3: I'd love a Graeme Shinney. Came up to the Premier League. He plays at Derby just now. He's injured. He was the Aberdeen captain for a, a while. He's magic. He's great.
2: He's the brother of the other. Aberdeen Shinney, right? Uh, he's There's the brother a diff- of Andrew Shinney. Uh, where's but... Andrew Shinney? I saw him over the weekend. Does uh, he play for Derby as well? He you saw him over the weekend. I saw him on Wikipedia over the weekend. Oh, oh right. I was idly googling it and thinking. You weren't Jake... socializing with him. No. Uh, no. He
3: was at Birmingham for a while, but he's at Luton now.
2: Oh that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great times my weekend Googling Aberdeen players. What about you, Mina? Who Wayne Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the Derby players.
1: So it oh, is, Duff. He's really getting. Uh, come on, let's be honest. It's rain, rain.
4: Really. Come on, Matt. You must have a good one. Do you remember Lee Trundle? Yeah. I remember thinking. Cold he. Hero. I was sort of young enough when he was at his peak for Swansea to just think that all the replayed amazing goals I scored would mean he would inevitably be like the next Matt Letitia in the Premier League. And uh, he never got the chance. And yeah. he's, he's still. I saw a Twitter clip of him the other day playing for someone, and he's still lobbing them in for like 30, 40 yards. So, yeah. Yeah, Lee Trundle.
2: Yeah, sounds like you spent a lot of your uh, youth watching soccer, AM.
4: At a certain point, there were probably a good few years of hungover soccer, AM watching yeah, it.
2: Yeah. I take it your answer is just QPR, Tom. Well, <laughs> of course, I don't want to get rid of them, but look, you 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 saw a Barry Eze when we went to QPR. JJ. Eze, Yeah, he's tidy, ha- ha- yeah. Ha- He's going to. Uh, I mean, hopefully, QPR will hang on to him this January, but I think he's inevitably going to move at the end of the season. He's a he's a hell of a player. Brentford have
3: a lot of good players as well. Yeah, Ollie Watkins. Don't really. really, really yeah, who is that, re- that 10 in the middle of the them. pitch? Who's kept
4: doing all the tricks?
1: They've got a really good they, management. They've team
4: got Ollie Watkins and they've got that Winger Benarumur or someone. I, I can't really I say the name. I mean, yeah. yeah, they've got some good players. You
2: go. Plenty of answers. That's all for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you like before next week's episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Also, send us an email. Why not get 2020 off to a flying start with the method of communication they're calling a good one? afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the right address and we'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks as ever to Joel Grove on the buttons and to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.